Siv, I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, March 3rd. Yep, we're into another month. Uh, kind of glad to put that one behind us. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers and we don't do Buffalo speeches. We uh, take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way, but our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us, and we do it all right here live from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our audio streams live on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. We stream live video of the show on Facebook, uh, via Facebook Live, onto our group page and uh, share it on a couple of other group pages as well. Uh, we take the audio and we put it up as a podcast after the program. We take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. You can subscribe to our podcast and you can certainly subscribe to our YouTube channel, and I'd appreciate it if you did. Um, look, I'm the show's producer uh, and host, and I'm joined here in studio by Jake Proud, who's managing our audio and our video. And it is my pleasure to introduce... Um, indigenous hip-hop artist uh if you don't know him you will you will know him after tonight but uh, uh i want to introduce you to dakota bear uh somebody who i think is doing some great work and uh obviously pushing out some pretty good music too we'll play a track of his as we uh, go to the break at the bottom of the hour and then uh, when we end the show later on we'll we'll play another track so you'll get a chance to to hear some of his music as well but let me go ahead and introduce uh dakota bear to let's talk native Tante, hello. Uh, thanks, John, for having me. Well, you know, you, uh, my my friend Sogayetta, um introduced me to you, and um, and I know there's so much happening like right now in the news. I mean, I go back in time. We've had places. You had things like the I don't know more movement that that you know that got a lot of attention, but between the predominantly the women who have been fighting this pipeline in Wet'suwet'en territory and then the men throughout native territories that have been doing blockades especially in Mohawk territory but then been blocking the rails and the highways ports mm. ports of entry a lot of that stuff um it's it has been a bit of an incredible time um and i know that the work that you you have been doing it kind of folds right in with with you know with really tackling some of the contemporary issues. So I, I don't know. You want to give a little bit of a rundown on 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 kind of where where what you do, where you're located, where you're doing most of your work, and that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm from unceded Treaty Six territory, um, Nihiao from the Nihiao Nation. I moved to um, <clears throat> so-called Vancouver about seven years ago to pursue my music. Uh, so I'm, I'm calling in live from the unceded Coast Salish territories, uh, the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh people. This is their land, so I just like to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I've, I've been doing music for quite some time. Uh, as of recent, uh, I've been doing a lot of land defense, using my platform to, to reach the young people. Uh, I've been, I've been using music as a way to empower, especially our indigenous youth to pursue their dreams, but also to, to really give back to the community, to educate themselves on the history and the ongoing, uh, colonialism and genocide that is happening on these lands. I think it's important that, uh, we understand, uh, how we got to where we are so we can move forward in a good way and, and be educated. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
the hip hop rap in general uh the urban music um is not of our subculture necessarily and yet we've had uh several quite a few uh, native people who have pursued careers in hip hop and and you know i think the 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 most striking dif- uh you know difference is you know a, a, and and i think many of the black artists who are involved in hip hop although they make plenty of their social statements and that kind of stuff they they, they undeniably are do a lot of this in pursuit of the money i mean they you know they they really do you're, are, are they're trying to make you know illustrious careers for themselves but, but pretty much almost all of the native artists that i've discussed say yeah they're trying to make a career out of it but there's a there's a purpose and a social message. There's, there's a there's something else that drives a native hip hop artist um, that perhaps doesn't drive you know artists of other uh, ethnic backgrounds. Would you say that's probably true? Well, you know what? There's there's all sorts of types of artists uh, in this music industry. I think um, the struggles that we face as Indigenous peoples on these lands they run parallel with our relatives south of the medicine line. Uh, may that be the indigenous peoples or, or the African-American. You know, marginalized people have been using music, have been using hip-hop for a long time to tell their stories, but also to create social change and movements out of that. So you can see a lot of uh, the artists that I listen to, uh, I listen to J. Cole, I listen to Kendrick Lamar. You know, I listen to, to these uh, upcoming indigenous artists because there's so much talent uh, and, and for me, I was really disconnected from our culture, right? I didn't grow up on the land. I grew up in the city. I grew up on the west side of Saskatoon. You know, there's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of issues that we face. I connected with music as a way to express myself and kind of, you know, escape the reality which I was living in and my environment, right? And I feel like the the, the music really was uh, a healthy way for me to cope and, and to write my story down to express myself and so there's there's artists you know they they use music uh you know in many different ways uh but i think what i can see happening right now is just a lot of people using their their platforms whether that be music dance art to spread that message to connect to unify us together uh because of course we are stronger together so i see there's a lot of there's a lot of uh change happening and and we're doing it through social media so social media is really a tool that we've been using to connect with each other you know to share our stories online and you can see that you know there's a real uh a real collective shift in our consciousness as young people going back to our traditional ways of living of of learning through ceremony that's uh what i'm doing with my partner we have two children and so uh, i just had a son actually he's uh, a month and a half congratulations and, and my daughter she, thank you thank you and, and my daughter she's she's almost five years old so it's really essential to us and my partner that we learn our language uh, and we learn where we come from the territories so we can pass this on to our children because both of us we grew up similar right there's a lot of alcohol in our homes there's a lot of you know violence that we had witnessed because of that but it's intergenerational trauma and more direct trauma uh that that we had faced and 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 coping that in an unhealthy way but we're becoming aware of that as young people you know as young and distance people we're becoming aware of that and and we're and we're using our talents and our gifts you know to spread that message and it's a powerful time right now well, and um, you know, when you bring children into the world, you become a little bit more uh, committed to to their future, obviously. And so, the whole climate change issue and uh, and environmental issues become, you know, for many of, especially in, Indigenous people, 
much more of a concern and it becomes uh, you know another thing that we we really have to take a strong position on i know that you've been following some of this um this pipeline battle in uh Wet'suwet'en territory <clears throat> between their fight with british columbia and cgl and, and and the whole bit and i'm going to do a bit of an update on that um you know on the second half of the show but um Tell me about what you've experienced in terms of you know how you've interacted because one of the things and and I'm I'm actually going to do a, a video a video on this, you know we, well as Native people we happen to we hear all the time on either side of that imaginary line just how nice Canada is and you know as Indigenous people whether we. We kind of know the truth that there is a strong foundation of racism that exists on the Canadian side. And we see so much. I, I've seen major news publications that have had to cancel their their online forums because of the number, because the level of vitriol and hate that is being spewed on these things. I remember during the Idle No More movement, the Winnipeg Free Press had to get rid of their forum page because they couldn't, it, w- it was just getting too, too ugly and too violent. So uh, tell me about your experience um, especially now in, in light of some of the tensions that have escalated because of this, you know, the blockades, the, the fight over, over pipelines or what Canada calls progress and, and, and what it's like to, to live where you live and, and know kind of the, some of the resent that, resentment that's harbored against us. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really disturbing, you know, and it's for me be, being a parent, that's why uh, me and my partner, you know, we we continue this work to counteract um, all of the hate that's coming out uh, for our children to be able to grow up in the Canada that is really sold to the rest of the world. You know, the Canada has a great PR strategy and and, and on the world stage up until recent. It belies they the truth, though, yeah. Out- yeah, they have been just telling everybody that, you know, the indigenous nations have been thriving over here. They've been respecting treaties. They, they would say that to the UN uh, and really on the global stage <clears throat> until uh, we really exposed that, you know, and, and we told the truth. And, and we've been using that uh, social media as a platform to speak our truth. Uh, the hate that is coming out, you know, I'm from the prairies. Uh, it's there's so much tension in the prairies when when uh, Colton Bushy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that had happened. Uh, Tina Fontaine. Well, Colton you know, Bushy again uh, was was shot. Um, a homeowner just came out and, and killed him in his driveway, basically. And uh, uh, and and again, the the, the guy, the, the non-native, the white guy, wasn't prosecuted at all. In fact, uh, he yeah. you know, he made it sound like it was a justifiable killing. So, for the people who aren't familiar with with Colton Bushy, and of course. Tina Fontaine you know, is is just another name on a long list of women, and I don't want to diminish it. Women women who have been murdered or uh, or disappeared um, in this racial environment uh, of Canada. Yeah, when and, and in the in the prairies, it's like the, the racial tension. You know, it's so thick; it's there. And for when, when that had happened, my my uh, my mom, her husband, you know, my siblings, they 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 at the time they lived in the prairies and they could feel it when they walked to the store. They could feel it, you know. Um, they were one of the very few indigenous peoples in the small town that they lived in, and uh, um, my mom's truck was getting vandalized because of that, because of what was happening. And out here on the coast, 
we we feel that too. We feel the hate. We feel the racism. Uh, there is um, groups that are uh, white supremacy. They're they're hate groups, and they're really targeting the indigenous youth right now. Um, so-called Victoria, the indigenous youth for the Wet'suwet'en, they have been there occupying, reclaiming space, uh, doing ceremony, and really holding it down while they've been threatened by these uh, white supremacy groups that have been coming to check them out. So if See, and people just don't, area, people don't associate white supremacists with Canada. And that's, that's kind of the truth that, you know, folks like you and, and myself that we're trying to tell people, look, you're being sold a bill of goods. It isn't true. Uh, you know, Canada, and I'm not criticizing, you know, the place. I'm saying there is a level of racial tension that exists in Canada that is, that is not just undeniable. It's so prevalent. And, and one of the things that most frustrating things that i saw recently and i've seen this before i've heard people say on this side oh if donald trump gets reelected, i'm moving to canada and i'm thinking really you think that's that's sanctuary from racism moving to canada you know and i got into this debate and they just says well at least if you block a road in uh in canada you don't get shot with rubber bullets and um and and, and uh, tear gas and i'm thinking for one thing all of that you just described happened during the Obama administration, not during the Trump administration. And I'm not defending Trump by any way, shape, or form. But I'm thinking, man, you better figure out before you let some white man chase it out of your home, you better just figure out where you're going to first. Because although I have no problem you know, taking up residency on, uh, on either side of the imaginary line that's been drawn through our territories— you know, I, I, the whole idea of being chased out by whoever the next U.S. president is or and, and being chased to a place that still has a lot of racial tensions. You, you, you can't escape it by running from it. No, no, it's true. And it's all over Turtle Island. I mean, yeah, people, I think right now what is happening, too, is, is really bringing that racism and that hatred towards indigenous peoples through the forefront and social media you can see through the, the comment sections you can see even through the media the way that they're manipulating it and using media uh really weaponizing it uh to, to spit out this propaganda to even further uh encourage violence on indigenous people on indigenous land defenders and it's really the psychological warfare that has been going on for some time and, and you can see it is really creating these tensions and, and it's really um um, in, encouraging that and so what we've been trying to do is just counteract that you know and, and we're peaceful in our actions but as young people we're really aware of that uh, there's a lot of it out there um, but also I'd like to acknowledge all of the allies like the settler allies that stand in solidarity with the indigenous peoples their numbers uh, outnumber those hate groups and you can see that while you're at, you know, the solidarity actions and gatherings in Toronto, what was there, like 10,000 people that were marching, one of the recent gatherings out there, uh, Montreal, out here, we had thousands of people. And it's Indigenous peoples to the front. And, and our voices, of course, naturally find our way to the forefront of these conversations. But you can see when you look around, a lot of non-Indigenous allies, and that's what we need. That's what we need to encourage for us to continue to standing uh, up together against these injustices to create that future in the world that we would like our kids to be brought up in but 
unfortunately, we're not there yet, and we have so much work. Well, to and do. I, I've always said that you know when people talk about white privilege, and you know, although it's not it, white privilege is undeniable for me when I when somebody talks to me about it, says the best thing a person can do who, who's not native is to use that white privilege for good. And and there's no question that that our white allies still they have to bear the brunt of some of the uh, you know, retaliation and the animosity that some of these these hate groups have. I don't know if you saw this, but in one of these uh, Canadian uh, petroleum companies literally took Greta Thunberg's uh, image and turned it into some sexualized sticker that they stuck on some of their vehicles. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, thing. Gross. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, and here's disgusting. a young girl, you know, who's, who's done nothing but try to, you know, uh, you know, uh, create a, uh, her own platform and, and, and expand a platform for people to talk about, um, you know, a, a lot of this environmental issues, but, but, you know, the, again, and, and this, a lot of this environmental stuff, you know, folds right over, and a lot of this racism stuff folds into the into the missing and murdered Indigenous women, um, young men, you know, uh, two spirits. I mean, it, that it's it's connected, not just because of man camps, but because of this. The again, the the not the, just the settler colonial attitude, but the racist and the and the idea that the um, uh, the, the the racial superiority component to it, and that's where uh, and it, it contributes to all of it, and and of course. The, the where it gets even more exacerbated is the fact that law enforcement both US and Canadian policy doesn't really put any type of priority on uh on the the violence that takes place against against native people and, and native women in particular no they really don't and that's why you see there's more patrol groups that are popping up and you can see that there's more uh young people you know picking up their warrior bundles to go into the streets and, uh, you know, watch over and help protect the young people, the women, because often it's the women on the front lines, the youth that are gathering in these spaces, and the police, RCMP. Well, you have to even research why the RCMP was created in Saskatchewan, you know, when they were selling acres for, for pennies and uh, indigenous peoples were on that land, the RCMP, that was their job to go remove those people from the land. And so the history that we have with them isn't a good one. And then, you know, that obviously goes into the policing systems because it's it's really institutionalized racism that we're facing uh, on all fronts, through the educational system, through the healthcare system, in the prairies uh, where my uncle was getting treatment, he was escaping from, from the hospital that had the highest death rate in Canada for Indigenous people because they were uh, really neglecting the people coming in for help, assuming that, you know, there, there's so much negligence that was happening within the hospital. He had to leave his home to come over to uh, Vancouver to find uh, to just a, a quality in a healthcare system in Canada. And when you talk to people and you let them know what is happening here, you know, the ones that are... Uh, are they don't really have that you know those experiences that our friends and family have they're really taken back and you know their world kind of gets turned upside down they don't understand it because it's so it's so hidden right it, it's been hidden uh so well for a very long time but it we're we're coming to a point um where the technology that we have and the information that we're able to share you, we can't hide it anymore you know canada is really there's a mirror holding holding up to canada and it's really exposing uh, Canada for all the injustices that the Indigenous peoples face and the young people getting educated is so powerful and then using 
the education and like myself, I'm a hip hop artist. So I'm able to connect with my music and speak the message in a different way than sitting down with the youth. I, I also love to sit down with the youth in that way, but it's just another way that I'm able to communicate and connect with them. So like I said, you know, the, the times are changing and I feel like, you know, the shift that is happening right now, um, I, I'm hopeful that my, my, my children and, and the, the, all of the young children, you know, the indigenous, non-indigenous, we, we can really change uh, the, the the way that we're living here. Well, and, and we are changing some of the narrative. I mean, look, even though I feel like there's a lot of double speak that comes out of people like Justin Trudeau and some of these, um, Elizabeth <clears throat> May and, and a lot of these people, they, they sound real compassionate. And then you find out, you know that that's that's what they're saying on one side, and then on the other side they're saying, but but these projects got to continue or, or or whatever else. So, but the fact that we 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 do get that language out of them, even if if it is somewhat insincere, um, it gives us a, a stronger foothold to to hold them to it. I mean, when Justin Trudeau tries to tell the United Nations that that he wants to incorporate the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples into Canadian law, and then then there ends up being this debate on what free prior and informed consent means. And, and, you know, same with British Columbia doing the same thing. And then they want to say, yeah, but free prior and informed consent doesn't mean veto power. And I'm saying, yes, it does. That's exactly what it means. It means that if we don't consent, a project doesn't go through. But, but this is the doublespeak. But, but, the, but the fact that they'll try to blow that smoke up our proverbial ass with, uh, with some of their soft language and their flowery <laughs> language, we get to hold, uh, you know, that's the mirror that you're talking about sometimes that we, we hold up to their faces. So, but I think we are, you know, we are accomplishing things. And, and, you know, folks like yourself who, who are doing some of this good work, uh, there, there is something to, to, be, to be said for, for accomplishing things and, and moving this forward. I do want to mention one other thing. You mentioned healthcare. That's another, another thing that on the U.S. side, everybody has, you know, all these, you know, these visions of how great the healthcare system is on the Canadian side. Um, and while they do have universal health care, there's still a lot of racial bias that that, uh, that presents itself in that. And you can see that in the way Native, Native people, uh, our access to health care is, is oftentimes more challenged. Oh, there, there, there's tons. And that's just that's just one of 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 the many issues that we face uh, institutionally, all of the racism that's really embedded in the system, you know, the way that we're looking and the way that we're treating indigenous peoples, we've been dehumanized for so long. Uh, even a first contact coming here and assuming authority over the lands through the doctrine of discovery, that's dehumanizing us, that's saying that we're non-human. That right there is the basis and the foundation of what so-called Canada was built on. And so we must, you know, educate ourselves on, on the real history of Canada that was never taught to us in the schools and, and really work together on it's rebuilding at this point because what we have is not working within the healthcare system. I've, I've seen it firsthand. I lost my uncle in 2016. I have another uncle right now that I had mentioned that is, uh, is getting some healthcare out here on the West Coast, but the uncle that I had lost in uh, 2016 was due to negligence in the healthcare system in the prairies. The, the prairies, Winnipeg, you know, uh, northern, southern Saskatchewan, all of it is just embedded in the system. Well, and, and that's so not even addressing have- the mental health issues. I mean, uh, that have been caused oh, wow. by intergenerational trauma and 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 the almost, I mean, almost the. Uh, 
the imposition of, of of drugs and alcohol into our into our people and and it it is something that has been pushed in much the way same way people talk about crack cocaine being introduced into the black communities that's how alcohol was used alcohol was used as a as a lubricant for treaty negotiations it was used as justification for for residential schools it was done it was it was used in so, in such a nefarious way and we're living with the legacy of you know of some of that you know fetal alcohol syndrome and you know intergenerational trauma and, and and addictions that go from generation to generation. So when people think about healthcare, it's they've also got to understand the the mental health issues that uh, that are really the result, the direct result of uh, of governmental policy. For sure, and that's and you can see that these policies, this legislation, these laws that uh, are coming from the top are directly affecting the indigenous, you know, the indigenous youth on the ground, the lack of schooling, you know, and, and Ottawa, and, and in, in communities that have never even seen a proper school, you know, that, that their suicide rates are so high because they can't access services that should be uh, easily accessible to um, all people of these lands. Well, and, 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 and even beyond that, you have the situation where abject poverty has been imposed through governmental policy on the U.S. side and the Canadian side to such a degree that you have you have a, a young generation who sees no prospect for the future. So part of it is is beyond the you know the mental health caused by 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 intergenerational trauma. You have circumstances where where people are living in communities where they see no future. They don't. They see nothing no path forward and and then the only thing they do see is some glimmer of hope that that, that they can uh, pin on escaping and so you know so the only solution to uh, to our communities is is escaping them and and that and that's why you have the, the higher suicide and, and not just individual suicide rate look at the the suicide co- uh, packs that have been um exposed over the years where you know where a half dozen or a dozen even young girls it used to be suicide was was more prevalent again with males but now we're seeing even more and more with with young young men and young women yeah you know it and it's it's really uh it's tough it's a tough thing that we deal with but for, for me myself as, as a young person and my partner uh she does power dancing she does workshops motivational speaking we travel as, as much as we can to these communities to reach these young people you know and, and really empower them inspire them to not only follow their dreams but to really um following the footsteps of our ancestors and picking up the ceremony the culture the language all of these things that are lost you know these are the things uh that as young people we need in our lives for us to 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 feel whole to feel complete and and sometimes you can't even access those in our own communities but but for us it's about rebuilding where we can uh i have um a business a clothing line that that i work with my partner on and, and i also help young people uh, pursue business because we are naturally entrepreneurs. I call it warrior entrepreneurship because it's it's doing business in a good way. Well, and this has to, this has to do with with offering hope. offering hope. I mean, you know, it's not just enough to say you know uh, fo- uh, follow your dreams, but we have to help people encourage them to dream. And if you are providing some of that those those tools um, to help people pursue uh, entrepreneurship, that's that is the hope that many of our people need. For sure, I I agree, and um, 
And, you know, it's it's really reciprocal when we go to the communities and we see that there's just so much talent, you know, there's so much, there's, there's so much knowledge, you know, there's so much wisdom. And these young people, they're smart, you know, they, they know where they want to go. And sometimes it's just barriers, accessing equipment, you know, accessing, you know, the things that they need to get started. But that's why we're working and doing the work that we can, you know, to, to help and, and do our part in rebuilding our communities uh, and, and restoring, you know, our, our sense of identity, who we are, the things that were taken from us, learning our languages and really just, you know, taking that responsibility uh, of caring for the land and caring for each other and, and doing it in the best way that we can. So that's a lot of the things that we've been doing. Uh, Bear, give me, uh, before I let you go uh, and, and we go out with, we're going to go out with freedom, but before before I do that, um, why don't you give me uh, you know, some of the, the your social media contacts, you know, the way that people can reach out to you. Um, uh, um, again, whether it's your, your pages, or, or what, the best way for people to uh, to reach out and, and access not just your music but the work that you're doing. Yeah, for sure. So on Instagram, it's Dakota Bear official. On Facebook, uh, it's just Dakota Bear. Uh, on Twitter, it's Dakota Bear nineteen ninety three. So I'm on all social media platforms. You just do you have a website? A specific web- Do you have a website uh, as well? Yeah. DakotaBear.ca, YouTube, Spotify. I'm on all that. I'm all over social media. So, okay. yeah, it's not hard to find me. Just search up Dakota Bear. And also, yeah, thanks, John, for having me uh, and letting me, you know, uh, speak some words uh, tonight, this evening. It was, it was a very good conversation. So I appreciate that. And we'll do more of this. I'd love to have you back. And, uh, and again, I'll, I'm going to link and, uh, and uh, you know, promote some of your your, uh, your social media pages as well uh i look forward to, to having you back and and if you ever make it out to the to the east uh, maybe we'll even get you uh, get you in studio or you know i i try to uh, provide a platform i do a show in new york city as well and, and we have a a venue that is uh downstairs in, in a cafe media room and i can i can put 100 people in there and i've had a couple of artists come down and uh and perform in in new york city so if you're if you're ever in this neck of the woods or or, uh, I, I'd love to. I'd love to team up with you. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, I, I love that. We'll, we'll keep in touch and we'll make something happen for sure. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, you give me a much needed break from talking about some of the tensions that have been going on, and uh, I think I, I think I needed a guest like you just to help, help me settle down a little bit. Uh, I look forward to to having you back, and and I do very much enjoy your music. This is um, this is Freedom by Dakota Bear. Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native, and uh, you just uh, you were just listening to um, uh, Dakota Bear joining me for the first half hour, um, and I, w- I really do appreciate the work that he's doing and uh, and the music he is he you know he has 
produced and performed. Um, he has been in the in the mix of, of you know of all the contemporary issues you know going back to I don't know more to uh, to what we're going through right now with uh, with battling over you know trying to resist pipelines uh, some of the the blockades that have been going on and I want to do a little bit of an update there because there there has been movement here and and some of the movements a little. I'm, I'm to say I'm indifferent is being uh, is to be is being very very kind, um, but if you haven't been following it closely, what's what developed over the last you know several days was the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs, at least some of them, uh, meeting with with Canadian ministers, have come to a tentative agreement, and that agreement still requires approval from the Wet'suwet'en people um, and all of the uh, the hereditary chiefs. But in the process of coming to this tentative agreement, uh, CGL and, uh, has been able to continue their work, which kind of defeats a little bit of the purpose. So we've had blockades all over, all over, all over Canada, rail, highways, and all kinds of other things going on in support of the Wet'suwet'en resisting this pipeline. And there may be a settlement that allows this pipeline to go through, not pursue an alternative route. And I'm not... I'm not going to jump too far ahead. I mean, it's entirely possible the, you know, uh, that this thing is resisted. Um, but that doesn't appear to be the way that it's going. Now, what's the concessions that came along with, you know, or that they were were thrown at these people that could possibly um, you know, sway them to to approve this pipeline? I don't know. I mean, we can make all kinds of you know guesses about monetary value and uh I, I know one of the things that when they did their press conference they kept saying well we know going forward we're going to uh you know make sure that the land rights issues or this this and blah 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 but every time one of the the reporters asked yeah but that's going forward what about now what about this and they kind of skirted the issue so it sounds like among the the concessions that um, that the Wet'suwet'en are trying to get out of Canada and the, the the province is has more to do with looking forward and not dealing with this pipeline directly in terms of whether it's approved or not approved. And, and I got to get back to this to this notion of free prior in, and informed consent uh, as laid out in the in the UN Declaration on the on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. There, there ends up being this debate on what does that mean, and and I've listened to to some of these ministers, both from the the, uh, the federal government in Canada and uh, and and some of these folks, these politicians from BC, saying, well, that doesn't mean they have veto power, and I say, the hell it doesn't. I mean, if you're suggesting that that and and free prior to informed consent is mentioned six times in in this document, six times, and you've got both BC and the Canadian federal government blowing all kinds of smoke up our ass about how much they, they want to you know, embrace this UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, how much they want to codify it into U.S. law, or I'm sorry, into Canadian law. And and then they want to balk at what free, prior, and informed consent really means? I mean, that that's troublesome. For one thing, if you're saying that that in order to do a project, you have to have, let me break it down again, free... <laughs> Prior to informed consent, it means free will. It means the people who give consent have to be giving it has to, they have to be giving it freely, not coerced, not pressured, not extorted, not threatened. It has to be done freely. Prior means you can't build the pipeline to the doorstep and then say, "Well, we're here." 
we've got to finish it. We've got to, we've already got, you know, financial. You, you can't build this, you put this plan together, put the pipeline right to our doorstep. That's the whole prior thing. If you're making a commitment to build a pipeline to go through native territories and you haven't gotten our prior consent, then that's that that's your problem. And and then then there's the consent, free prior and informed consent. Informed means that we have to know the whole deal. That we've got to know what's really involved here. Don't blow a bunch of smoke up us about the job creation and uh, you know and uh, you know, and environmental remediation and all other stuff. It needs to be. We need to know exactly what's going to happen. And don't give us this this piecemeal envi- environmental impact study either. We need to know the uh, what threatens our environment from everything from your the the pad you put for your man camps to the roads you're going to put through how how are those roads going to be maintained and and who's going to have the right to travel those roads afterwards there's a whole lot that gets involved in this idea of free prior and informed consent and then there's the the consent part and this is what gets problematic and i've talked about this on previous shows when when they put free prior informed consent in this in this document they mean consent from the people not from a couple of people who've been propped up as band council chiefs or for even as hereditary chiefs. Look, if you're a community and you don't feel like you, if you don't feel like you have a, a voice as an individual and that somebody else has to speak for you, and if that's your culture that, that dictates that, then, then I guess it is what it is. But there is no way that when this document is produced and, and when they say things like free pride and informed consent, they're talking about the people. And, and I've made it real clear. Cons- consensus, a consensus is not needed to stop a pipeline. But it is needed to approve one. Let me, let me explain that. Because I know I posted this up on Facebook and some people were confused by it. It doesn't take everybody to have to be in, gr- in, in agreement to stop or prevent a pipeline. It may only take a few individuals, those who are most adversely affected by it, or those who maybe have a little bit more vision about what, uh, what these things mean in terms of our future. I won't go so far as to say one person should have the power to stop it, but I don't know that they don't. But I will say, in order to, to get approval, everybody has to agree to it. So in order to have free, prior, and informed consent, that means you have to have free, prior, and informed consensus not just from some Canadian politician who you know who sits as a band council chief, or anybody else who who is who is asserting authority or the or the power to speak for other people. I get really concerned when somebody else says I have the authority to agree to this to this pipeline, not you. Anytime I hear somebody say that, that that's a problem right from the right from the start, and so. You know, I don't know if, if Frida is approving this. And regardless of who does say the pipeline is approved, if there are if there are a number of individuals who say no, it isn't approved, then that's not a consensus. That then that's not consent. So I I have to defer back to the women, especially the women who have been leading the charge on, on trying to stop this pipeline. And you know, and and that's not just my view because I'm going to tell you, even though this. Uh, this tentative agreement has been reached. The blockades are still up. I'm not saying they're all up, but but many of them are. I know in Gunawaga they still are. And look, we know that when you do these kinds of things, you are bringing tension down on your entire community. But I've said it before. Nobody needs permission to to defend our land or our people. 
or to step up to defend our, you know, our, our brothers and sisters on other territories. You know, when Sogieta was on, he talked about this. You know, and when, when I've had Dagarundage on, he's talked about this. Look, we get caught up into this idea of being a tribe or a nation or a first nation. We are Ongwe That means that we are real human beings and, and that we're all related. Now, look, we have variations in our culture. We have different languages. We uh, occupy different geographical spaces. Not so much with borders. That's a, that's a white man thing. But we are all related. And so when, when people get caught up, well, I'm Seneca, well, I'm Mohawk. Well, no, those, those words aren't even ours. I mean, they're not even our words. So when we use words like Gunyagahag um, or Anundawaga, what we're saying is that we're Ongweonwe, and these are the places that, that, uh, that we're connected to from, you know, from where our people come from. But those, even those words, they, they, when you break most of our languages down, when we, when we have these, these words that we use to identify ourselves, it's always the people. Ongwe Ongwe is the people, original people, real people. Gunyagahaga are the people of the land of Flint. Onondawaga are the people of the big mountains or, or, or the mountains or the, or the big hills. Onyota'aga are the people of the standing stone, uh, from the, the place where the stones stand. So, uh, Dene, um, Anishinaabe, all these words, at, at its root, it's the people. It's not a nation. It's not, you know, um, some sort of box that, you know, that, that Europeans can, can define us as. So we've got to remember that we are the original people and that we are related. And, and, and sometimes that relationship may have seemed to have faded because we've allowed ourselves to be not just colonized, but huddled into, into, into areas. One of the things that, that's so um, inspiring about what's happened out in uh, Wet'suwet'en territory is that when the people realize, that, look, we can't defend our lands if we're all huddled up in these crappy little til- uh, villages that, you know, that, that Canada has funded you know, uh, lousy little homes for. If we're not out there living in the bush, if we're not living on that land in, uh, in a relationship with, with the water and with the trees and with the air and all that stuff, if we're not living it, we can't defend it. So what's, what developed out there were, were people that went and, and they built camps. They built homes. They built, you know, um, uh, even, even some level of infrastructure so they could, they could house other people and bring people in and, and, and meet and do workshops and, and, and all kinds of things like that. That's what's developed out there. And, and, and it hasn't been, you know, to go out there and clear cut an area and, and, and lay waste to the environment so, so we can live there. Most of the, the, the homes that have been built, even a lot of the tiny home uh, issues that, uh, that have been promoted uh, in, in some of these communities, it's about making sure that our footprint doesn't tear up the land. And again, you look at most of our, the communities that we're living in, and, and they're dismal. The, you know, as, like Dakota Bear was saying, we, we have these communities where, where our kids struggle. They, saw, they, they struggle with mental health, they, they, with health issues, mental health issues, suicide rates, you know, um, teen pregnancy rates, runaways. You know, and here's the other thing, and I forgot to even mention it while, while Dakota was on, but, you know, here's, here's the, the part about suicide that, that becomes double alarming. I mean, it's bad enough that we have them, but this is what both the U.S. and Canada use as a way to write off some of the, our, missing, our missing people. 
or 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 murdered people. They say, oh, well, they just committed suicide. You don't know how often somebody ends up a body is discovered, and they say, well, it was, it was just suicide, or it was it was an accident, or it was. They try to write this thing up so they can close the case and not investigate what are the the circumstances that le- that led to these deaths. So the fact that we've got people who are so depressed and and see so very little hope in the future that they take their lives. That ends up being the cover that you, that Canada, the United States, use to to wash their hands of some of the deaths that they that they don't want to investigate. I mean, it's it it just it just escalates. And and look, the the solution is is for us to understand our relationship to our land. That's what that's what our our, our names mean, right? That's what that's what when we call ourselves, you know, Ongwiongwi, when we call ourselves. It means the people of the hills. It means that this is the land. They describe the land and the people who live there. The the Gunyagahaga, um, the people of the land of Flint. Flint is an, it was not only a stone that we used, uh, you know, for trade and for uh, for tools and that kind of stuff, and, and for fire. It was it was something that was prevalent. It described the area that that many many of our people lived in. So we we have. We describe ourselves as real people, and then we describe ourselves within the context of the land. But I tell you, if we're huddled up in these crappy little communities with with low income housing, insufficient housing, or ramshackle shacks, I mean, uh, um, Dakota Bear mentioned Atawapiskat. Uh, you take, a, I dare you to go online and look up Atawapiskat. Look at the housing conditions up there. I mean, you're seeing you're seeing native people living. In, in places that you would swear was a third world country in you know in you know some very impoverished continent this is Canada and the United States that we have native people living in these conditions it, it isn't I mean we're living in third world conditions why because policy created it that's exactly why we're living in these conditions so well I well I am uh, somewhat disheartened that uh, that it appears that some of the, the hereditary chiefs are not maintaining a stronger stance against this pipeline going through their territory. Look, it's their choice. I mean, at the end of the day, as we stand in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en people, they will make their choices on, on what, is the, what is the best um, options for them. And, and perhaps there are concessions that, you know, that you know, Canada or in the province and the, and the gas companies offer up that that convinced them that that you know caving in on this pipeline uh, has some longer term you know positive benefit i don't know i mean uh, it's it's a choice that that they make and we have to respect that choice but i will say when we get the word that they've approved it and they've and that they've allowed it i gotta ask the question is are we sure they all did or is this just a few people claiming to have the authority to approve it uh, against the the will of the people that's that's my concern and you know i know this this is where it gets difficult you know anytime we we try to figure out how a people feel and, and it, you know it connects back here to even to i wasn't going to mention it but i'm going to say it even connects back here to the Cuyuga situation you know what is the will of the people and do we really have just a few or a handful of people in in our communities in our territories that get to express and and represent that will I mean that's I look U.S. and Canada they want to talk about being these these models of democracy and they aren't they aren't I mean their democracies are terrible 
And in fact, I will go so far as to say that I don't think I don't think democracy is the best solution. You know, people always say, well, the Haudenosaunee represents the longest uh, existing democracy. No, we didn't have... Democracy is about majority rule. That means 50% plus one get to rule over 50% minus one. That's not our culture. That's why we don't have elections that are part of Haudenosaunee culture. Look, we've got band councils that have very, very poor turnouts in their election, maybe only 20%. We have tribal councils on the U.S. side, same thing. You might get, you know, a couple of thousand people to vote in a, in a community. Sometimes these elections, I've, I've seen elections in, in Akwesasne that, that a candidate wins with a couple hundred votes. I mean, this is an indication on how much that system we, we still reject. Even as, as Canada, the, um, the uh, Indian Affairs, and on the U.S. side, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, they, uh, they have no problem accepting the results of some really really dreadfully uh you know poor turnout of, of an election because all they want is the next person who could sign uh, sign a check the next person who could sign an agreement or a contract the next person who can give permission for a pipeline to go through so when we we get into this debate about free fire free prior and informed consent we we've got to ask that question well we can pretty much understand what free prior and informed mean means but is there really that much of a debate about what consent is? And do we really have to look to only a few individuals who claim the power or who have the power because Canada says so or because the United States says so? This whole idea of federal recognition, whether it's on the U.S. side or the Canadian side, is about the colonial state, the colonial nation state, getting to, you know, to make a determination on who has the power to speak for a, for an entire community of people. That silences us. That's not consent. That's, that's having an individual make a deal on your behalf, for better or for worse. And I got to tell you, in a, many of our cultures, and, I can, and I'll say this as, as a Haudenosaunee, as, as an ongoing way in, in Haudenosaunee, Haudenosaunee territory, we have a real prohibition against selling out our lands. I know it's happened. And it's happened for, you know, for centuries. But there are people who have been cast out from our communities. I mean, I think about even the Trail of Tears, for instance, that is associated with the Cherokee. Many people don't realize, but when the Cherokee were forced out of, uh, you know, out of their homelands and and on that 3,000 mile journey to, uh, or however far far it was to Oklahoma, maybe it wasn't 3,000 miles, but on that journey to Oklahoma and stuff, and they lost a third of their population. The people who signed that deal, they were all assassinated in Oklahoma. Those people were all killed for what they had done to their people. And we've had, you know, and, and you know, look, that's that seems like a, a you know, uh, you know, an eternity ago, but it isn't. We have had people who have had to pay the price for selling other people, and then we have some that managed to to survive. I mean. You know, I, I look at some of the the folks who've been touted out as these war heroes for for code talking. Some of these guys, you know, Peter McDonald was a guy who went to prison for uh, for embezzling and misappropriating tribal funds, and yet there he is being touted, you know, carried across the the country as the, as the great Navajo code talker. And we've seen that in, in other places where where people are heroized and never really held accountable. Well, it is on us for hold, to hold people accountable. So if your band council is selling you out, if your 
look, you know, I, I've looked at some of these these letters that have been issued that are condemning people for their actions and that kind of stuff. A piece of paper with somebody signing it saying that somebody has been banished or somebody has been, you know, disenfranchised from a longhouse or whatever. I, I, I'm troubled by that stuff because that piece of paper doesn't mean anything to me. I said it before. Nobody needs permission to defend their people. Nobody needs permission to defend their land. And that's not something that, that necessarily is going to come from a chief, a clan mother, a band counselor, or, you know, tribal council president or chairman or whatever the hell else they call themselves. A grand chief. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's on the Canadian side, grand chiefs. But no, this is, this is a problem that, that we have to confront in every one of our communities. And, you know, it, it, it oftentimes comes to a head when we do stand up. You know, look, I'm proud of of Gunnawage because in Gunnawage, they are standing with one voice out there as they, um, uh, you know, put their put their blockade up in in support of uh, Wet'suwet'en territory and and in support of Tainanegra for that matter. I'm proud that they they stand there with one voice. Band council, tribal council, longhouses, you know, you know, regardless of what somebody's you know religious. background is or whatever else the people are standing even the the people who are involved in as uh, as peacekeepers up there the the pks as they're called they're not gonna they're not gonna do the bidding of canada there and, and i'm and i'm and i'm proud to see that that level of of unity because i'll tell you we we see it you know we've seen it not look that way in some places and even even this this stance and this solidarity for the the Wet'suwet'en people even this is is taking a bit of a I'm not saying a U-turn, but it's certainly taking a left turn here or right turn. I guess I don't want to condemn left over right. I guess, but it's it is certainly taking a turn, and I don't know what is going to transpire over the next couple of days and what the what Soviet people are really going to decide on. But there are some indication that this pipeline is going to continue, and it is continuing today. I mean, the the CGNL people do have access, and they are in there working, and. You know, it, it leaves a lot of us who are, who are holding out and uh, and standing up for um, the defense of that land and the people who are trying to resist the pipeline. It leaves us a, a little bit scratching our heads. So we'll see how it plays out. I'll certainly let you know how it plays out. You know, from here, I'll use my perch to to say as much as I can. But <clears throat> but know that we, at the end of the day, we, we we're going to support you know our brothers and sisters in other communities. Um, even if we don't completely agree with the decisions they make, we know that they they do have the um, uh, they have the right to make some of these decisions, some of them, and uh, and and we'll we'll try to be as supportive as we can. But like I said, <clears throat> I want to make sure when a decision to allow some of this stuff to happen in in these lands that true consent has been uh, reached, a, a true consensus has been reached. Not just a few individuals claiming to have the power to approve or disapprove these things. That's that's part of the problem. Hey, uh, we're going to go out with uh, with another Dakota Bear song. Uh, this is expire um, as we expire. So we'll we'll go out with that song. Um, hey, uh, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, and I want to thank again Dakota Bear for for joining us on the uh, on the program. It's uh, it's it's been it's been great to kind of have a different conversation. So this is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Uh, we'll be back soon. Yahweh. You don't, you don't know who 
you been messing with I'm the man in everything I do legit Even in my darkest times I never quit Even when I trip I got a level head I went to the darkest corner came back with the devil's head They been trying to take my rights away You don't say We been out here fighting stakes to this day This card here it don't expire You been tripping getting high If you think that you can take this all away to this day They been tripping to this day Who are, who are you? Don't tell me I don't